Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! Welcome to the second episode of One Step Beyond. And thanks for all the positive feedback on episode one. This is going to be an enjoyable ride. One Step Beyond is not your typical niche podcast. We're here to encourage you to take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. Whether it's to walk a local trail or climb a distant mountain travel to a new country or explore culture close to home, run a first 5k or tackle an ultramarathon. One Step Beyond is all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. Of course, many of us are still currently under orders to stay at home, but that's all the more reason to prepare for the day when we can get back outside. We start with a four-part mini-series, From Kingston to Kilimanjaro, based on my journey to Tanzania last August. Now, if the thought of climbing to the roof of Africa seems beyond you, know firstly that it is not. You'd be amazed at some of the people who make it to the summit. But if it's financially beyond your reach, that's understandable. And from episode 5 onwards, we will be tackling adventures you can have on your doorstep. So, whether you're listening on the sofa, in the kitchen or getting your daily exercise while practicing your social distancing. Relax, enjoy, and get ready to go. One step beyond! So this is our first sighting of Mwenzi, which is coming out of base camp at the Mandala Huts. And here's our crew. We're actually all talking about teenage kids and dating. Because, you know, we've got to talk about something other than just going up the mountain. My name is Tony Fletcher, and in August 2019, I set off with four friends and a guide to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania. At 19,341 feet, that's 5,895 meters above sea level, Kilimanjaro is the highest point of Africa, and it's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world, meaning one that is not part of a wider mountain range. Perhaps because of this, because it's actually a volcano, it's also the highest mountain in the world that you can climb without need for professional gear. In other words, you're meant to be able to walk all the way to the top, and hopefully without need of additional oxygen either. Almost 50,000 people a year attempt the summit. Not all of them make it. The intense demands on the body in ever-thinning air cause many people to give up before they can reach the peak. I'm a writer and broadcaster by trade, so I brought my recording devices along with me for the journey up the mountain. Over the course of this series, it's my hope 
that you'll be able to experience a little bit of what it's like to go on an adventure like this, and that by the time we're all done, you'll be ready to embark on one of your own. From Kingston to Kilimanjaro, a four-part series on a journey to the roof of Africa. Episode 2, The Ascent. Akuna Matata, a phrase you'll probably recognize if you've ever watched The Lion King, is Swahili for no problems, no worries. You can hear your guides and the crew singing it as you slog your way up the mountain. They're trying to assure you it's easy. I can assure you it's not. Still, as months and months of preparation, of reading, of shopping, of training, of long-distance travel, then at 2pm on Saturday, August the 3rd, we finally set off to climb the mountain from a base altitude of 1,905 metres, or 6,250 feet. Ahead of us is a relatively comfortable climb of around 2,700 feet over five miles. It's certainly the easiest we can expect on our four-day ascent, which will hopefully take us all the way to the summit. Very, very lush here, isn't it? This is like, it's not, it's not the Catskills, there's more... More like rainforest. More, like, yeah. This is the montane forest, is that? The monta- yes. Yeah. One of the many attributes that makes Kilimanjaro not just fascinating, but indeed unique, is that it has a multitude of distinct microclimates, or zones. There are six of them, if you want to include the farmland that sits below the Marangu Gate. We're setting off from the first officially distinguished one, Montane Forest. On Kilimanjaro, this forest extends from approximately 2,500 feet all the way up to about 9,000 feet above sea level and receives the most rainfall on the mountain, around 6 to 8 feet a year. This means it's not only incredibly verdant, but also humid, and we've barely started climbing before some amongst our five-strong group asked to stop and strip off layers. Well, we got about five minutes in without stopping. (laughs) Talk about pole pole, it was a good start. (laughs) Pole pole means slowly, slowly, and we appear to have taken that catchphrase to heart. The actual trail we're walking on this first day is nothing unfamiliar. But because we're in Africa, because we're at this altitude, and because this forest gets so much rain, the flora is utterly unique. Among the trees growing to our left and right and at times overhanging above us are eucalyptus, figs, avocado, mango trees, African redwood, African holly, tree ferns and mahogany. The mahogany found on Kilimanjaro is actually the tallest indigenous tree in all of Africa. It can grow over 80 metres high, that's 250 feet, and some have been dated as five or 600 years old with no signs of dying as yet. We weren't in this particular patch of giant and ancient mahogany, but it provides a great example of the Kilimanjaro montane forest's incredibly vibrant ecosystem. I used the opportunity of our first day of relatively comfortable hiking to talk more about our mountain adventure with Protus, who you may recall from the previous episode, grew up on the mountain as a porter and guide before being sponsored by an American family for a university education in the United States. Protus now lives in the Catskills, and he takes groups over the Kilimanjaro and for Tanzanian safaris as frequently as he can through his company, 
the Roof of Africa Adventures. All told, how many people do we have in our crew? Uh, I don't, I will get the total number from, uh, you know, when we get to, I'll give you oh, the total. So you don't, you're not even sure? I'm not, I'm not even sure <laughs> because uh, I, I was just hearing there's some extra weight, so we have to get extra people. Oh, really? From there, yeah. So there was extra weight from, but not from our individual bags. Yeah, from just the, the, the food. Right, the, right. Yeah. The additional porters are needed because of regulations put into effect relatively recently that limit the amount of weight that each porter can carry to 20 kilograms, approximately 50 pounds. That's the maximum check-in weight for an international flight. In other words, it's still a lot to carry all the way up the mountain on your back. It's not until we get down the mountain a few days later and distribute tips that we're able to do a full count. There's 19 in all. If that sounds like a lot of manpower, and yes, they're all male, to take five of us up the mountain, well, I guess you're right. And there are those who object to paying wages for and tipping porters that they never see on the mountain itself. But apart from having four guides for the five of us, there's the cook and his assistant, and all that food and equipment, as well as our overnight bags with all our summit clothing, plus medical supplies and emergency oxygen, needs to be transported every day, except for summit day itself. And even then we need porters, just in case. We call them summit porters. Right. Uh, because if somebody gets sick and, you know, right. somebody needs to come down, we, you know, usually just bring extra people just to be safe. Uh, I'm aware from setting up our trip with Protus that he usually takes his clients up the Machami route, which comes in from the southwest, requires camping, and is now apparently the most popular of them all. It's only when Prolus observes the improvements in the Marangu Trail, the one that we're taking, that I learn just how long it's been since he's last stepped on it. So what was the last year you did Marangu? It was in, uh, I'm telling you, it was in 1998. Right, so 20, 21 years ago. Yeah. Wow. 20 years ago. Uh, sorry, I had to remind you. Yeah. Back when you were five. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> This puts Protus in something of a unique position. He's arranged the trip, he's hired his usual crew, a superb group of people, and having made it to the Uhuru summit well over 100 times, he's well versed in getting people to the top. But it's so long since he's been on the Marangu route that to some extent he's operating as another client. Have you done every route? Yes, I have, yeah, every, I have done all of them, all of them. Which, um, I know Machami is the one you like to take people up, but from a personal... I like the, the, the Mosho, the Mosho is like, it's, it's more, um, I don't know, I guess it's just, it's, again, they're all similar, really, like, to be quite honest, <laughs> right. but the Mosho is my favourite. The Mosho. Uh, the Mosho and Machami, Machami is the second. Right. The third. Uh, Umbwe route is now my favorite all. It's very, you know, you start up like this. Oh, okay. All the way up. Oh, right. Hard. All the way up, yeah. Huh. That's not my favorite. Long guy where those French guys were yeah. going. That, um, that's also nice. Yeah. You know. You need a map of Kilimanjaro to really figure out what we're talking about here. But in short, there are routes that come in from the northwest, the southwest, the southeast, that's ours, Marangu. And the northeast, that's Rongai, the one that we just referred to. Rongai used to come in from Kenya, but the start point has been changed to ease those international crossing issues. 
The ombre root, the one that Proda says he doesn't like, comes in pretty much directly from the south. It's by far the steepest, but it's also the shortest. And if you're a mountain goat, and some people are, that's the way to go. It's the route that Simon Intui took in 2006 for what is still the fastest unsupported run up and down Mount Kilimanjaro. Nine hours and 21 minutes. Simon runs his own travel company for Kilimanjaro Climbs. And I guess there's a pun intended there. Because if you want to take the mountain at pace, Simon is probably your man. The last route to mention is Maweka, which is used for descent only from when you come up the three western routes. Because Marangu is the only one of the routes in which you go up and down the same way, and because you stay in huts the whole way as well, there's a perception that it's easy. When we were at the waterfall yesterday, one of the guys there was saying, oh, you're taking the Coca-Cola route. And we call it that because it's a soft drink. It's soft. It's easy. Yeah, but, but it's not. It's not, is it? It's really not. And it's got the highest rate of failure. Yeah, yeah. It's probably it's, because people think it's like, oh, it's in people take it Exactly. People take it lightly. Okay. And uh, yeah. they come and they... I'll tell you something. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of people... Mountaineers, we're talking about, you know, people yeah. down like maybe the seven summits and all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. They come here and they're like, you know, they give a huge respect because it's, yeah. it's not what they, you know, what they read, what they, you right. Know. I mean, you're here now, you know, you can. Yeah. <laughs> We're in it. We're going to do it. Yeah. We'll be talking. <laughs> On the eighth, you can tell me if it was easier. Do you mean easier than, than, uh, than like, you know, than you anticipated maybe, you know. It's... I'm expecting summit morning to be what the hardest thing I've ever done. I'm going to interrupt here for a spoiler alert. It was indeed the hardest thing I've ever done. The grade that we're doing, the gradient, uh, to, to Gilman's. Yeah. From his Kibo hut? From Kibo hut. Yeah, that's serious. It is, it is, yeah. And we're doing it at night, and we're doing it at high altitude. Yeah. I'm expecting, like, Manitou's Revenge to look very, very easy in comparison. Manitou's Revenge is an ultramarathon run every June in the Catskills. It's 54 miles a little longer than the distance up and down the Marangu route. And it's got 15,000 foot of total climbing that has to be completed in under 24 hours, as opposed to the four days we have to climb 13,000 feet on Kilimanjaro. I've done Manitou's once, and while you have to be trained for it in a way that doesn't apply out here in the Marangu route, I'll confirm now that compared to the attempted summit of Kilimanjaro, it was indeed easier. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're still three days away from attempting our climb up to Gilman's Point, which is the rim of the crater, and then onto the summit, Uhuru Peak, from there. The good news is that, for all that we've met some people who didn't make it that far, we're constantly meeting those who did. Did you make it? We did. Congratulations. Oh yeah, we made it. My <laughs> <laughs> intern made a prediction that that guy was going straight to the shop at the Marangu Gate and rewarding himself with a beer. Alcohol consumption is absolutely not recommended on the climb up. Not in this kind of thin air. And none of us even as much as discuss the possibility. Although, on the subject of alcohol... My channel has the, uh, the nickname of Whiskey. Whiskey, you know, because as you know, whiskey's stronger than coffee. Right, <laughs> right. So, but... They're all, they're all the same, you know? Yeah. They're all going to be hard in their own way. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. 
Whatever your preference, whiskey or Coca-Cola, Machami or Marangu, your first day's hike is not going to be too taxing. After a few hours steady walk, including a stop for a packed lunch, chatting and getting to know our crew as we go, we find ourselves at our first night's destination. So we're here, this is our first stop, Mandara Hut, elevation 2,720 meters, which is about 8,300 feet. Climbed about 26 or 2,800 feet, I believe today. And we're kind of just getting a break in the tree line here. The break I'm referring to is really quite a distinct one. It's almost like there's a line drawn on the contour of the mountain. One moment you're in the forest, the next moment you're in what's known as the Alpine Heath. The Mandara huts are situated right where these two points meet and gives us a sense of what we can expect tomorrow when, according to the sign that we pose for pictures by, we have an 11 kilometer walk up to the Horombo huts. Tonight we'll be sleeping in dorms and for whatever reason, we get an entire building to ourselves. Asante. So guys, maybe the boys are bring water washing for you. Yeah. Thank you. Our porters bring each of us our bags. We'll have the same porter every day. So I get to know my guy. He's called Idi. Asante Idi. The porters also prepare a bucket of warm water for us with some soap so that we can clean off before dinner. Okay. Corn, corn soup? Sweet corn. Sweet corn. Okay. Yeah, I can try yeah. Wonderful. Corn chowder. Okay. Excellent. These meals will follow a pretty predictable pattern. There's going to be soup to start. I get a vegan one every evening, more than I need for myself, so I'm always happy to share it. And our main course is going to be vegetables, with some meat or fish off to the side, usually accompanied by some form of starch, pasta or rice. And dessert is typically fresh fruit. I learned from my previous trip to Tanzania that the locals eat local which means they eat healthily. Guys, this is Barnabas, one of the guys. Hello, Barnabas. And of course, Lucas. Lucas, uh, Barnabas, Gwen, Tim, Marie, Stephen, Tony. Okay. Uh, yeah. The pot. <laughs> Sure, there are some language difficulties with our guides and porters. Although English is taught from high school onwards, for a lot of people in Tanzania, that's too late to grasp the language. I'll get to know Bonabas really well over the next few days, just as I will Produs's uncle Simon, who turns out to be something of a legend on Kilimanjaro, his nephew Lucas, and Ngozi. They will be the four primary guides taking us all the way up the mountain. For our first night on Kilimanjaro, we get an entire dorm building to ourselves. Steve and Marie bed down in one room and the rest of us in another. We should be in for a good night's sleep. So Gwen, how are you feeling this morning? Our, our first full morning on the trail? Well, my body feels great, but you know, the not sleeping thing is really... You had a bad night? <sighs> Do you think it's it? So I, I didn't have a great night either. Do you know what to put that down to? Uh, I don't know. For me, it was that I got... To we should all be seasoned campers here. And Gwen and I met at Burning Man, 
which is not exactly quiet during the nocturnal hours. But we're also just getting used to each other. Turns out we're dealing with that unpleasant marital noise demon, among other things that go bump in the night. I realized I probably should put on my earplugs for people going through the door. So I went down and I got my earplugs and then climbing back up into the bunk, I hit my head, totally whacked out my glasses and had a massive headache. So I was just lying there on my back with this headache <laughs> and it receded and I put in the earplugs and then I got to sleep and then there was the snoring with the earplugs and then you know everybody was coming but to be but to be fair you must have felt like like you were yeah felt just like home being at home yeah except for Marshall I can kick and I can get him to roll up it was probably a little optimistic for Gwen to think she could come to Tanzania and get away from snoring at night ah well Let's just say none of us got a lot of sleep going up and down the mountain. Peanut butter, banana, thank you. Asante san, I'll just take this. Yeah, peanut butter, banana. Sleeplessness is somewhat to be expected. And so is an upset stomach of some sort. It's not uncommon when you come to a different country, however healthy the food. At high altitude, though, the queasiness is more acute. I mean, I don't want to be too graphic, but getting the runs is really not unusual. That situation is not helped by the fact that your crew is constantly giving you food. I'm really trying not to overeat. I'm used to trekking with like cliff bars and things, and um, I'm not used to sitting down and having a big lunch halfway through a day's trek. Or... Fortunately, we haven't been on the moorland for long before we get a welcome distraction from our sleeplessness and or queasy stomachs. So we already saw Mawenzi, but this is our first sighting of Kibo. That's, that's the Kibo. Kibo. It's the name given to the standalone volcano with the ice and snow near its summit that most of us recognize from photographs as Kilimanjaro, the roof of Africa. It's magnificent to see it with the naked eye. And it's one of those optical illusions that uh, Mawenzi looks higher from here, but it's not. Yeah, just it's, it's closer. Not. Yeah, just it's, it's really phys- closer. physically closer. Once you hit the top, you'll be looking Mawenzi yeah. below. But that's what we're going to. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's impressive, all right. Yeah. And it still looks a long way away, Perlis. <laughs> yes. We got that's it. not far at all. <laughs> Gwen's not being facetious, and she's kind of right. The base of the volcano is probably just about 10 miles away. The summit, on the other hand, we can't yet see that. And that mountain, that volcano slope, it really does look steep. But hey, it's why we're here. Do you get like some feeling of homecoming every time you see that? Oh yes. Yeah. Is it like a nice feeling for you every time it's, you it's see? It's definitely yeah. I mean, I I I really do enjoy. I do enjoy being here. You know, I wish I could be here all the time. Yeah. I wish this could be my office. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Protus. At this point, on our first truly full day on the mountain, with some gain to our name but no real pain as yet. There's no place I'd rather be. It's truly gorgeous out here. And the company's not bad either. That's Mount Maru over there. Mount Maru? Yes. Mount Maru. Thank you. I love hearing the London accent here. (laughs) Yours has not been tainted by years of living in Australia or America. You're just like straight out of Hertfordshire. (laughs) (laughs) Real deal, right? Early on this, our second day, 
Tim and I recognise some English accents coming up from behind us. It's a group of five young women, wearing matching sporting shirts. Hearing their voices, we pass comment. They tell us they all live in Doha, Qatar, and of course they've decided to come climb the mountain together. When we ask about their uniforms, one of them's quick to test our gullibility. We're the British Olympic netball team, she says. And before I can say, then why are you all living in Qatar? Tim falls for it and starts gushing his admiration. The five young women are all actually working in the medical profession out in Qatar. And all five of them have got a distinct look despite wearing the same sports shirt. So Tim and I label them the Spice Girls. They take it in very good spirits and adopt the name. They're on the same schedule as us up and down the mountain. And for Tim and myself especially, they become more than just our regular companions. They'll become our mates. That's one of the things I want to stress about doing a journey like this. You make new friends along the way, regardless of whether you've come with friends of your own. Maybe you'll never speak to them again. Or maybe, as in our case, you swap social media information and you keep tabs on each other once you return to your home countries. Leah... She's the one who fooled us in the first place and you can hear mostly on this conversation. Elle, Emily, Katie and a Scottish girl, Nicola, that we can hardly understand. And I'm half Scottish, by the way. They all provide a daily boost of youthful exuberance for Tim and myself. And in the good-natured way that I'd like to believe we have in our home country, we engage in some mutual ribbing as we go. What do you think of my new sporty look? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> sticks. Yeah, got I got the cycling glasses and sleeves exactly. and the Lawrence of Arabia hat. I'm so all over the place. You're the Mixed. Gadget Man. That's his nickname. Gadget Man. I'll take that. Yeah. Gadget Man. I wouldn't normally refer to myself as Gadget Man, but considering that I've got tape recorders in one hand and a GoPro on my head, that explains the poor audio in this clip, by the way. I guess the nickname's well earned. Over the course of this second day, we gain elevation of almost exactly 1,000 metres, which, if you know your conversion rates, you'll know to be just a little below 3,300 feet. This is across a distance of around seven and a half, seven and three quarter miles, so the elevation gain itself is not too steep. We set off, as stated, in the Alpine Heath, a heather zone, but as we climb, so the surroundings change with us. Man-sized trees give way to man-sized heather, which switches out to a grassy scrubland, pockled with occasional brightly coloured flowers, like gladiola, orchids and red-hot pokers. There are birds hanging around too, especially at the lunchtime picnic tables, where there's one raven in particular that's especially keen to have our leftovers. As we climb higher though, a couple of plants come to dominate the landscape. The rather phallic lobelia, and the even more imposing giant ground cells, which routinely reach a height of four metres. Both these distinctive plants appear to the untrained eye as a form of cacti, which would seem to make sense given that the land here is absent the rains that fall in such abundance in the forest below. According to John Reader's renowned book of photos and essays from the early 1980s, they're actually related to the common weed, among 55 plant species that back then had been identified on the mountain. That's not, apparently, a high number for such a large area as this. But then Kilimanjaro, especially once you're above the tree line, is not exactly hospitable to life. 
We've been promised that when we turn the corner here, we can see the camp, which means we'll be at about 12,200 feet. And the truth is, yeah. We can see the camp. We can see now. Barnabas does not lie. Yeah. I'm not lying here. Here we are. We can see our camp. Yes. We can see the valley below. Yeah. We can almost see Kibo, but it's just gotten shrouded. And the valley below is pretty beautiful. We are now well above the clouds. And you can hear in my voice that the elevation is taking its toll. So even though we're here, we're trudging slowly up the last little bit to the reception. Maybe just another 100 feet we didn't expect to gain. As we close in on the Harambo huts, I review the day's climb with Gwen and Marie. Marie has never been higher than 5,000 feet or so before but she seems totally unfazed by the gain in altitude. It wasn't as steep as yesterday, but we did a lot more elevation. But we, it had a, we had a lot more of these traverses. Like, yeah, I mean, it's more gradual, so it actually yeah. feels, it was feel, felt better today. So, you know, little bits and pieces, it felt, I could feel it. Well, there's the steep and then flat, and then steep and Yes, flat. and sometimes we had the down, and, and down. then so it was like a down in the elevation. It was like, great, you know, it just vibes you, or me. The Harumbo huts are by far the most comfortable of the three camps we'll stay at on our way up and down Kilimanjaro. But at the same time, comfort's relative. Like most people here, at least those who aren't in tents, we're staying in tiny A-frames with just about enough room for one person to get dressed at any one time. All right, this is cozier than last night. It sure is. But hey, there are other people who are camping and that's cozier still. So... This is good. I'm sure we are good. Unfortunately, we're not good. At least not all of us. Tim may be putting on a brave voice, but he's suffering from acute mountain sickness. All of us are feeling it to some extent, and Tim tries his best to be cheerful, as I joke about the fact that we all seem to be suddenly very untogether. Yeah. The allergy got we're, to us all. We're a little giddy. I, I, Tim uh, is queasy. Gwen like like is uh, wondering why it sounds like the dwarf. hot water doesn't taste yeah. of tea. <laughs> yeah. I do what? have a good tea. Queasy or not, I have a, quite a good tea story. Tell us a good tea story. Tim recounts his story, but the colour is draining from his face as he does so. Prolus tries to encourage him to eat. He's going to need the fuel for the next few days. But Tim just stares at his plate. He's taking the Diamox, the prescribed drug to prevent and combat AMS. And maybe it's helping, who knows. But fact is, he sits at the end of the table, looking increasingly morose. And I turn off the tape recorder in respect. He and I go out afterwards for some fresh air. And we stand at the sunset looking at the tents being set up below us for those who are descending via the Marangu route, watching over the clouds that extend all the way to the horizon. Parasitic craters line our view in something of a straight line. It's a magnificent sight. We should be feeling on top of the world. Tim is anything but. Photographs I take of him show as much. He's flown 8,600 miles from Sydney in the hope of summiting Mount Kilimanjaro. But at this point, it's obvious he just wants to start descending already. 
For Tim, this may sadly be as far as he goes. The miniseries From Kingston to Kilimanjaro was produced at the studios of Radio Kingston in New York. If you have any comments about or suggestions for this show, email onestepbeyond at ijamming.net or find us on social media. Just search for One Step Beyond with Tony Fletcher. Thanks to Mark Lerner for designing the logo and to the members of Madness for permission to use their music as our theme song. You can subscribe to this show on pretty much every podcast platform, again by searching for One Step Beyond with Tony Fletcher. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a positive review or rating. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy and stay active.